Bedford's News Talk Station. 1420 WBSM presents Ray Lance and the USA Wealth Group alongside Phil Paleologus. Get your finances in order. Money Wise starts now. Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's always a personal pleasure to be alongside somebody who asks you to protect your home and your money, but he does more than that. He actually shows you how through USA Wealth Group. I'm referring to Ray Lance. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Phil. Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Money Wise, brought to you every Sunday morning by USA Wealth Group. You can reach us at 508-998-8858, or you can visit USA Wealth Group. Dot com. You know, Phil, Rosalind Carter, who was the first lady for President Jimmy Carter, said, there is nothing more important than a good, safe, secure home. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about protecting your home. Because there really isn't anything more important than your home, is there? No. It's no. a place of security. It's a place that you want to protect. You don't want sure. anybody to take it away from you. You want to pass it along to your family if you have a spouse or children. You want to make sure that your home, which is generally going to be your largest single investment, is going to be protected at all costs. And that's the number one goal for almost anybody listening to this show this morning. And uh, did you ever hear of Little Home on the Prairie? Yeah, I used to watch it. Yeah, I used to watch it too. It was written by Laura Inglis Wilder. She said, home is the nicest word there is. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned this morning, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk with two special guests this morning. Say hello and a warm welcome to attorney Michael Coleman. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Good to be here. And say good morning to attorney Tenny Lance. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> good morning. So our topic today, ladies and gentlemen, is how to protect your home. We have much to talk about including some fairly recent proposed legislation, which is going to make it possibly more difficult to protect your home. So if you think you have everything all figured out, maybe you put your house in your kids' names, maybe you've put a homestead on your house or you're curious about a homestead, or possibly you think, well, gee, what happens if I go to a nursing home? Is my house going to be protected? Is my home going to be protected? That's what we're going to talk about this morning, and I very much appreciate, again, having Attorney Tenny Lance and Attorney Mike Coleman with us, uh, two really true experts in the area of protecting your house. But it gets more difficult all the time, doesn't it, Tenny? Legislation gets proposed that makes it harder and harder to protect your assets. Well, you know, there's there's something about um, the legislatures and Congress that somehow tends to believe that the country is going downhill uh, and and spending all kinds of monies because of uh, elderly people ripping it off. And it frustrates me no end that there are ongoing proposals to uh, take more from the elderly who have worked hard all their lives to earn their estate and to hopefully pass it on to their children. It's a very important subject because, as you said, you know, you do work hard all your life. The number one goal in the country is to own your own home. Number two goal right behind that is to pay off your mortgage so you don't have to worry about making a mortgage payment when you retire. And then you want to leave it, if at all possible, to your family. You've paid taxes all your life. You've paid income taxes. You've paid property taxes. You're a good neighbor to your neighbors. You've done everything you're supposed to do. 
for the American dream, and all of a sudden there's a concern that you might lose your house. Tenny, did you ever hear the expression, a man's house is his castle? Oh, yes. There was a guy named James Otis who said that. And then another person named Alexander Chase said, a man's home is his wife's castle. (laughs) That's good, too. (laughs) So I thought that was more appropriate. (laughs) Well, anyways, Tenny, let's, let's talk a little bit about your background and Mike's background. So give us a little bit of information about what you've done for education. It's always amusing to me that in the recording studio, Phil, where we're supposed to have nice, quiet, soundproof walls, we have microphones that squeak and chairs that squeak. I, know it. <laughs> I was just trying to move the microphone over, and it made an awful noise, so I apologize for that. It's the furniture, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so tell us about your background, Tanny. Where did you go to school? Well, you and I both went to Clark University for our undergraduate degrees, And then you went on to uh, Boston College School of Law and eventually to Boston University School of Law to get a master's in taxation beyond your law degree, something that I was always uh, very impressed by. Um, I went to work and for years and years uh, did not extend my education until finally I was working for Girl Scouts in the 1990s and decided that it was time for me to get another degree. And so I went back to law school then. I went to what was called Southern New England School of Law, which is now University of Massachusetts School of Law. So what's your next degree going to be, Tenny? Hmm. I don't think it will be a degree in taxation. Um, I don't know. Maybe architecture or uh, (laughs) something fun. There's an idea. I was thinking of going to school to become an actor. You don't have to go to school for that. You don't have to go to school for that. It's a good thing the microphone wasn't in front of her. I know it. (laughs) She couldn't hear that. But you've done some other interesting things uh, also, Tenny. Um, You've done some executive leadership training at the uh, Wharton School, and you've done a few other things of that nature, haven't you? Well, uh, all along the way, I have... um, taken various kinds of courses to expand my knowledge. It's always an important thing. Um, By the way, speaking of seniors, I wonder if seniors know that they can take classes at uh, the university for free after they're 65, the total aside from what we're talking about. But I did go back to UMass Dartmouth and take some Civil War courses that I was interested in. And they were free. It was wonderful. It has to be a course in the ongoing for-credit program. It can't be in the continuing education program, I believe, in the evening, just an occasional quick class. Those you still pay for. But the daytime courses are the courses that are designed to be leading towards a degree. You can take that. You can get your entire college degree for free if you're 65 and older. I wonder how many people know that. Any public school in Massachusetts. So that may be what I do after, uh, after I don't know. <laughs> That'll be your third career. Right. But just real quickly, I know you did work for the Girl Scout uh, Council of Southeastern Massachusetts. You were director of administration. Uh, you've done a variety of other things. You worked in the Office of Historic Preservation in New Bedford. And by the way, Phil, um, you know those bumpy cobblestones that we have on the streets downtown Historic District? Yes. You know who's responsible for that? 
Um, <clears throat> let me think. <laughs> that Our was a tenny. wonderful project. Um, we had, uh, I don't have any idea how many um, Portuguese workmen who were familiar with building those kinds of streets in Portugal uh, on their hands and knees installing these, they're actually called block stones, not cobblestones, uh, in the streets of New Bedford. We got a special grant from the Economic Development Administration. It was a wonderful project. And you also served on the uh, Board of Directors of Whale. You were president of the Board of Directors of Whale, the Waterfront Historic Area League for Whale. So you really have a, a love for old things, don't you? <laughs> Did I say that correctly? <laughs> I do love you, Ray. <laughs> Public admission. <laughs> this is the show we call Family Feud. <laughs> the answer is... <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about somebody else who's in the studio with us this morning. Let's talk about you, Michael Coleman, Attorney Michael Coleman. Yeah. Um, where did you go to college and law school? I went to Fairfield University down in uh, Fairfield, Connecticut, and I got a degree in international studies there and a minor in French. Do you still speak no, French? No, I don't speak French. You don't speak French? I knew French? that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I may know a word or two, but that's about it. Um, then I went to law school at Hofstra School of Law in Long Island. I graduated from there in 2007 and worked in New York for three years and then moved back up here, um, originally from Westport, Massachusetts, so I'm back in the area now. So Mike is too modest, ladies and gentlemen, but I will tell you that when he graduated from Hofstra University School of Law, he graduated with a very high academic ranking. Uh, he was in the top 10% of his class. He graduated cum laude. Uh, he was the research editor of the Hofstra Law Review, which is prestigious, and you have to be pretty smart to be on the law review in law school. And uh, he was on the dean's list from uh, 2004, 2005. I made the dean's list one year in law school. Yeah. I won't talk about my first year, but okay. my, my third year in law school, I was on the dean's list. So, gee, we can say nice things about each other, can't we? Mike, I always wondered, why did you choose Hofstra? Um. That's a good question. It was local. I was living in New York at the time. Um, my girlfriend was going there. That's what um, it was. So <laughs> she was a year ahead of me in law school. Uh, so I knew a little bit about it. I had heard about the school. She always had good things to say about it. So uh, I guess that's why. Is Hofstra in, in uh, Long Island? It is. It's in Hempstead. Okay. Yeah. And I know that you like Long Island and have a lot of friends there that you visit still. I do. Yeah. So you're a member of the bar in both Massachusetts and New York then, Mike? I am. I passed the New York bar in 2007, and then I had to take the bar again up here in Massachusetts in 2011. And hopefully mm -hmm. I won't be taking it again anywhere else. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's not a pleasant experience. Um, I have to tell one bar review story. Should I tell a bar review story? Sure. Uh, it's a friend of mine who lives in... An, Dartmouth, who practices law in New Bedford, and when she was taking the bar exam, um, this is a little bit of an unpleasant story, but it's kind of funny. She was up in the back of the room studying away, and she heard somebody vomiting in the bar exam, and during the break, she said to her friend, did you hear that person vomiting in the bar exam? Wasn't that awful? And the guy said, yeah, the guy behind me was the one who vomited, and he vomited on my back. Oh, and she God. said, oh, that's terrible. What did you do? He says, I kept writing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing interferes with taking the bar Don't have much of a choice. <laughs> oh, the bar, I always say, is worse than childbirth. You're, you're in, this, in this locked room with hundreds of other people, and, and it's just a panic time. It's yeah. awful. 
Well, let's come to our main topic of the day, ladies and gentlemen, which is protecting your home. There are some traditional things that I know that uh, Mike, you, and Tenny have talked about in the past, and we're going to go through some of the traditional things you can do to protect your home. But it really is important. It's a very important uh, subject for most people. But then we're going to talk about some important things that are being proposed right now as we speak and as you're listening, which is going to make it more difficult to protect your home if somebody has to go to a nursing home, I guess. So let's begin with a few basics. Um, Mike, let's talk a little bit about a life estate deed. What does a life estate deed do? Because we've talked about that before. Well, a life estate deed uh, basically names a person or people as life tenants of a piece of real estate. And it also names what are called remainder men. So a lot of times this will be parents as life tenants and then children, one child or children as remainder men. And uh, the good thing about a life estate deed is that when the life tenant passes away, uh, the title vests in the remainder men automatically. So there's no need for a probate court. You don't have to go to court and petition the court to be a personal representative and go through that whole process. So that helps. So one of the saving features of it, I guess, and one of the good features is that it could avoid going through probate and the right. title would pass immediately. Um, Tenny, are there any Medicaid, nursing home kinds of implications about doing a life estate deed? Uh, if somebody gives away the title to their children but reserves a life estate, for example, how is that impacted if somebody goes to a nursing home? Well, there are a couple of goods and bads about life estate deeds. The, uh, the good is that, as Michael said, it passes directly without going through probate. And because Mass Health is only able to recover for uh, payments made on behalf of Medicaid for someone through the probate process, if you have a life estate deed, then there is no what's called estate recovery. Uh, it's very complicated, and we can go into that more if you'd like. But uh, the bad part, I think, is that uh, if you wanted to sell your house, you'd have to have the remainder men agree. And the remainder men, uh, having been given the gift of the remainder interest, are going to get some of the proceeds if there is a sale. And having given that remainder interest away, it means that you have made a gift, and that gift is going to be with you for five years into the future as far as Medicaid penalties are concerned. So that so, might be like a kind of a disqualifying transfer? Right. Very complicated. So you need to look carefully, it sounds like, when you've done that. You know, you mentioned something interesting. Uh, a, a while in my past, I was the assistant register of deeds in New Bedford, and um, I remember some people had come in uh, to talk to the register deeds, and I get called in to ask some questions. And uh, they had deeded their house away to their children, and you know the mother had died, the father survived, and he put the house in the kids' names. And then he decided to get remarried, and he wanted to put the house in the name of him and his new wife, and the children refused to sign a deed. They didn't want to give up the inheritance that they got before the father died. So if the kids don't want to cooperate later, that can be a problem, I guess, Mike. Right, it can be. Normally we tell clients this, obviously, and tell them to talk to the children about it and maybe even have the children come into the office to talk to us about all the implications of doing this. Hmm. You know, when you see something like that, um, let's say the, the, the father, for example, wants to put the house in the kids' names, uh, 
um, I wonder if it wouldn't be possible to have the kids sign a deed back to the father and don't record it as a safety valve. I guess it would be to have that in your back pocket, yeah. So I guess there's some things you might consider doing. Right. Well, life estate deeds have to be looked at carefully then. And um, how about homestead? We've all heard about a declaration of homestead. What is it? What does it do? And how does it protect us, Mike? Uh, homestead is a document that you can file with the Registry of Deeds. It's relatively easy to fill out. Um, it only costs $35 to record. And once that's done, a couple under the age of 62 have $500,000 worth of protection in the equity value of their primary residence. So that's a, that's, uh, that would yeah. be for a couple. Right, exactly. And so. then uh, for a single person, it's 250000 um, there is an automatic homestead protection in Massachusetts of 125000 hmm. Um And then if you are a couple who are both over the age of 62, you get that bumped up to a million dollars in protection. And okay. Again, that's so let me probe into that just a little bit further. So what you're saying is that if you don't put a homestead on record, you get one automatically right. for $125,000 right. for a single person. Yeah. And this is this is something that protects you against unsecured creditors. So basically, a lot of times it'll be in a lawsuit. If you get into a car accident and someone decides to sue you, uh, they want to go after your house, then you have this protection in the value of your house. I used to do a little bit of personal injury work. And um, if we were suing someone, one of the things that we would look for is to see if they had a homestead. Um, because if they did, we likely would not be able to go after the house and would have to figure out if they had any other liquid assets to go after. So it really is a very inexpensive way to protect equity in your house. Right, it is. So do you recommend normally that everybody should do a homestead if they have a house? I do, absolutely. And if you've done one and you have turned 62 between the time you did it, and now you should do a new one. But it doesn't protect against a Medicaid lien. How about um, taxes? If you owe taxes to the government, does it protect you against taxes? No, it doesn't. Again, it's only against unsecured creditors. So like Tenny said, it wouldn't protect against the lien on the house. It doesn't protect against the mortgage on the house. Mm -hmm. um, but it does protect against that unsecured creditor. So if you had a tree in your yard that fell down and injured your next-door neighbor's house and your next-door neighbor wants to sue you, you'd have some protection. Yes, so obviously you should have um, general liability homeowners insurance right. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay, that's good to know. So everybody should do a homestead, and if uh, they wanted more questions answered about a homestead or wanted you to do a homestead, Mike, how would they reach you? You can call us at uh, 508-998-8800. Uh, you could also visit our website if you wanted to, lancelawinc.com, to learn a little bit more about us. Uh, you could email us. Our email address is on the website. So any of those ways would be great. So it sounds like a really basic but very important piece of advice. Everybody should have a homestead right. house. It's only $35, so there's no reason not to do it, really. What happens if you have a mortgage on your house, and then you say, I'm going to go refinance my mortgage? Does it wipe out the homestead, and you have to put it back on again? I don't believe so, no. Okay. All right. You know, there's a quotation from my favorite Greek philosopher, uh, Phil, uh, Mr. Anonymous. And Anonymous? Mr. Anonymous said, by the time a family pays off the mortgage for a home in the suburbs, the home isn't a home, and the suburbs aren't suburbs. That's right. They've turned into the Acropolis. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you sure that was a Greek philosopher? That, Anonymous. Uh, derelict building with all the... Well, now in ruins. <laughs> but wonderful to see. <laughs> 
All right. So we know a little bit about homestead. We know a little bit about life estate deeds. Um, how about we talk about a real estate nominee trust? Tenny, would you like to say anything uh, very erudite about a nominee trust? <laughs> Not particularly. That must be a Greek word too, isn't it? Erudite? Let me get my bottle of Windex here. Everything <laughs> Greek. <laughs> I haven't seen the new movie. It's funny. <laughs> It's not as good as the first, but it's it's cute. It really is funny. Further uh, embellishes the stereotypes. I'm I'm assuming. <laughs> well, oh. nominee trust. When do you use a nominee trust? Why would you use a nominee trust? What is a nominee trust? A nominee trust is a. Uh, I always call it a little trust. It's just a brief uh, statement that. Uh, establishes a different means of ownership for your property. Um, it gives you one degree of protection um, should anybody be seeking to find out exactly who owns a particular property. Uh, but it's, a, it's just a, a, a brief document that uh, can hold title to your property. And it does not disclose within it who is the beneficiary? And that is often beneficial for people who really want to keep their their um, heirs and beneficiaries private. Or anonymous. As anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you don't have to disclose who the beneficiaries are then. Uh, Robert Frost once said, by the way, that home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. I've used that before, but I like that particular quotation. So, Tenny, um, or, or Mike, I don't care who answers this question, how should somebody hold title to the house? In their individual name, should there be some form of a joint tenancy? Um, let's talk about that for a moment. Well, there are plenty of different ways to hold title. Um, there are different implications with all of the different ways to hold title. Um, if you're looking to avoid probate and you're a married couple, one of the things you can do is put the house into a trust, like a nominee trust that we just mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, once the property is titled into the trust, a successor trustee would um, essentially be able to take control over the property if something were to happen to the married couple. So that's a good way to avoid probate. Okay. How do you title it into the nominee trust? Do you draw a deed? Yeah, you just do a simple deed um, for nominal consideration, basically transferring it from you two individually to yourselves if it's a couple as trustees of the trust. Hmm. So it's a pretty easy process. Okay. Now, there's something in the Registry of Deeds called the uh, documentary stamps. It's an excise tax, I mm -hmm. guess, for the privilege of selling your house. Right. So if you transfer the title to your house because you want to put it into one of these nominee trusts, do you have to pay documentary stamps to do that? No. Normally, we just do it for a dollar. So there wouldn't be any tax on that. I believe generally when it's below $100, I think, um, they generally don't put stamps on the deed. Okay. Well, that's good to know. And um, so you talked about a joint tenancy. What's, what's important about a joint tenancy? What does it do in terms of survivorship? There are various kinds of joint tenancies. Um, and it depends on which one you use as to who would get the property if one of the members of the tenancy dies. So if you are tenants by the entirety, you are a married couple, husband and wife, and if one of the couple dies, then the property would automatically vest in the remaining uh, couple member. Uh, so a tenancy spouse. by the entirety is just between husbands and wives? 
Right. It can be for a same-sex couple, too, I would assume. Yes. Yes. Massachusetts recognizes all of those rights. Okay. And is the tenancy by the entirety something that you do only for your primary residence? Yes. Um, And there are other kinds of tenancies. There is uh, joint tenancy, and there is uh, tenancy... um, uh, Why can't I think? In common. In common. Um, And depending upon which of those tenancies you use will determine who's going to get that property. All right, so if you had a man and a woman, they were married, uh, would they normally do a tenancy in common? No, if they were married, they would normally do a tenancy by the entirety. Which is a form of joint tenancy, what you said. Yes. Okay. So what happens in a tenancy in common? Does each person own half or something? Yes, essentially... Um, if if something happened to one of those two people who hold the property in common, then their half goes to their heirs. We're so getting probably too complicated here. For- well, I was just thinking if you had a, a, a couple that just got married and they weren't quite sure whether their marriage was going to be successful, maybe they wouldn't <laughs> want to do a joint tenancy. Maybe they'd want to do a tenancy in common. But you probably should not have gotten married. <laughs> probably you're right. <laughs> Well, um, these are really interesting questions and and comments on how to own title. We're going to take a short break and come back, but when we come back, I want to talk to you and ask you some questions about this new Governor Baker proposed budget, which is going to be potentially harmful to seniors as far as the House is concerned. So we want to share some information with the listening audience about that. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to MoneyWise, brought to you every week at this time by USA Wealth Group. Uh, please give us a call at 508-998-8858. Our mission is very simple. We want to show you some ways that you can protect your family and ways that you can protect your money. That's our, our mission. That's our goal. Uh, we do a lot of work in the area of retirement planning. We do a lot of work with life insurance. We do a lot of work with annuities and uh, indexed annuities ways that you can handle your money without having to worry about losing principal, but make more than you might in a bank account, for example. Visit our website at usawealthgroup.com, and we'll be happy to give you reports on Social Security, college planning, Medicare, a lot of things that are very important to almost everybody that's listening today. So give us a call. We're, We're there to help you. We're talking this morning with attorney Michael Coleman and with attorney Tenny Lance on the very important subject of how to protect your house, how to protect your home. You know, the home is the place where we think most of being our number one asset, and we want to protect it. I know uh, Tenny, attorney Tenny Lance, recently there have been some proposals made in the governor's budget uh, that may have a negative impact on uh, seniors in particular. Could you tell us what that's about? Yes, it's, it's a complicated story. Um, as I said previously in the program, MassHealth is only able to recover on any liens it places on your property for monies that it spent on your behalf in a nursing home. So MassHealth, let me just interrupt one second. MassHealth is the state agency? Yes, MassHealth is the state agency that administers the Medicaid program. Okay. They have a small office called the Estate Recovery Office. It's located in Worcester, 
And the purpose of that office is to um, sort of account for everything that the state has paid on your behalf if you have been in a nursing home. And that's called, uh, it's, it's placed as a lien against your property. So is that like an attachment on your house or almost like putting an extra mortgage on your house or something? Right. It's something that is owed against that property uh, either immediately or when it's sold or whatever. In other words, when they put money out to pay for your care in the nursing home or a family member's care in the nursing home, they'd like to recover the money back later if they can. That's right. They don't just grant you the money um, and let it go. They want to recover it, and that's the name of the of the office, the Estate Recovery Office. Now, way back in 2003, and I remember this vividly because I was doing Medicaid back then, Governor Romney proposed to have the Estate Recovery be able to gain back money even if property did not go through probate. In other words, if you had a life estate deed and you owned an interest as the life tenant in that property and then you died, even though the property would not go through probate, there would still be a uh, recovery of that uh, of the lien against that property that the kids would have to pay if they were the remainder men. As I said, it's very complicated, but that made things extremely messy back in 2003. And in a very brief period of time, the legislature overrode Governor Romney's veto of that um, legislation. The state of New York attempted this just a couple of years ago, and they also have repealed it because it just gets to be so complicated, and, and it's such a burden on people. And so Governor Baker, in this year's budget, has proposed what is known as Outside Section 11. And again, he is proposing to recover against any property that you might have had an interest in prior to your death, whether or not it goes through probate. Is there a time period on that? What if you owned a property three years ago, but you transferred it to somebody else? Is that a problem? Well, if you transferred it within three years, you probably would not get on Medicaid because you would have had a disqualifying transfer. Okay. So is this really a further attempt by the government to get at people's number one asset, their house? Yes. Uh, it's not only the house. It's life insurance policies. It's bank accounts. It's all kinds of things. But the house in particular is what most people are concerned about. And yes, as I said at the beginning, there seems to be this belief that there is so much money going out on behalf of seniors that the state needs to recover against it, even though the seniors in our communities have, have worked so hard to gain their estates all through their lives. So I'm curious, and, and by the way, we're talking with Attorney Tenny Lance and Attorney Michael Coleman on these important subjects. Um, is this something that has been proposed by the governor's office, or is it being proposed by the legislature? It's proposed by the governor. The House of Representatives, in reviewing the governor's proposed budget, has already rejected this, but it is yet to come up in the Senate. And uh, if, it, if it passes the Senate, it could come back uh, as the joint bill that uh, might still haunt us. Hmm. So as a practical matter, I don't know if you know this, but 
um, would the state be suing people to recover on those liens? Is that the way it works? or? Um, yes. Essentially, there is a time frame involved, and if the lien is not paid within a certain period of time, then the state can uh, force a foreclosure or mm. a, um, I see. Yeah, a sale. So I don't know if a lot of people really listen to recommendations to contact their state senator or contact their state representative, but is that something that they should do if they're concerned about this? They definitely should. We've put that in our newsletter. We've sent out a special email blast to our clients saying, please contact your state senator and ask them to oppose outside Section 11 of the governor's budget proposal. Do, do we have any idea of time sense when this is likely to come up for voting or passage? Well, the House considered it in early April. I, I honestly don't know what the Senate's time frame is, but the budget has to be passed by the beginning of July because that's the start of the state fiscal year. Okay. So there's not much time. I wonder if there are any other um, senior groups or, or groups that represent the elderly that are, are trying to oppose this. Um, Michael and I belong to the Mass NALA group, which is the Massachusetts uh, chapter of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, and they have been at the forefront of opposing this. So we get updates all the time from them about where this stands. So I think it's important for people to recognize that there are uh, attorneys working in the community who are trying to look out for the interest of the elderly population, and uh, certainly Lance Law Inc. is one of the leaders in doing that as well through NALA, Mass NALA. Um, <clears throat> if, if somebody is interested in more information, could they get that from your office, Tenny? Yes, certainly. Please call us at 508-998-8800, and we can give you some information about this. All right. Well, I guess in, in going forward, you'll continue to keep people informed about this. But it is a serious matter because um, although we all recognize that it costs more money every year to pay for things like nursing home uh, costs, uh, it's also true that people really would like to try to protect their house. Um, assuming that this passes, or even if it doesn't pass, are there kinds of things that maybe people could be thinking about doing to protect their house? Well, um, many people come into us and want to talk about an irrevocable income-only trust, and that is a means of protecting against a Massachusetts Medicaid lien after five years. Uh, virtually anything they do to try to protect assets is going to require a five-year period. So that's important to recognize. So. There are things you could do, but you have to do it far enough in advance if you really want to protect the house. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. All right. And um, this irrevocable income-only trust, um, what do you actually do? You create the trust, and then you transfer the house into it? How does it work? Uh, yeah, it's it's just like a revocable living trust. Um, it's irrevocable, obviously. So you would execute the trust um, a married couple would need to choose someone else to be trustee. Normally, that would be a child. They can't be the trustee of their trust. Um, you mean they, the, the adult, the parents who want to protect the house right. cannot be the trustee of their own irrevocable right. trust. And this is one of the things that people find a drawback as a drawback because mm -hmm. essentially they'd be losing control over the asset that's put into the trust. 
Um, but so if they would have to have trust in the name, the person that they name as trustee, like a, an adult child, for exactly. example. Yeah, a lot of times they'll uh, name a, a son or a daughter who they trust, and they also would sign a, a life occupancy agreement when we did the trust so that um, the kids couldn't kick them out, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once a trust is drafted and executed, we would do a deed, and the deed would be going from themselves, however they were holding title to the property, um, to the son or daughter as trustee of that trust. All right, so I want to make sure I understand it. So if they create the irrevocable income-only trust and then they deed their house to it, and let's say one of their adult children is the primary trustee, mm-hmm. um, is the house protected if something happens to the child? Let's say they have a car accident, for example. Well, the child as trustee isn't an owner of the house. The house isn't owned by the trust. Okay. Um, the child is just a fiduciary who's basically acting on behalf of the parents. So if the adult child who's a trustee gets divorced, for example, it's not their asset, is no, it? No, no, no. Okay. And what happens, let's say they put the house in the trust and five years have gone by, so now you've protected the house from the nursing home. What happens if it's six or seven years later and the parents say, we don't want to live in Massachusetts anymore. We'd like to go to Florida. Could the house be sold? Sure, the house could be sold. It's just that uh, the deed would have to be, and the paperwork would have to be signed by the acting trustee, mm-hmm. which would be the child. Um, so as long as the child would comply with whatever the parents wanted to do, then that would be fine. Um, and hopefully that would be the case. All right. And, Tenny, um, you've done a fair number of these trusts, I believe, these irrevocable income-only trusts. We have. In fact, most people now who come in to talk to us about uh, protecting assets and and doing their estate plans want to talk about irrevocable income-only trusts. Not everyone, as Michael said, is comfortable with them, but it is an effective way of protecting the home. Um, What about long-term care insurance? Is that another way that you can protect the house from, say, nursing home costs? Yes, the state law allows that if you have what is called a basic long-term care policy, and that is one that has $125 a day coverage for two years, then the state will not place a lien on that on your house. So that's a very good way of both giving you some ability to get home care and payment for nursing homes or whatever uh, and still protect your house. All right. So we've talked about a couple of ways you can protect the house from the nursing home. One is to do an irrevocable income-only trust. Another might be to have long-term care insurance, and you can provide information to people about that too, I guess? Yes. um, Our office or our associated offices don't uh, sell long-term care insurance, but we do rely on a very trusted uh, agent that we recommend to them. All right. And what happens now... Let's say, uh, I know especially in this community, there are a lot of situations when you might have an adult child living in the house with you. Um, Is that helpful? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Might drive you nuts. (laughs) Right. Um, Helpful in a way, I guess, if they're a caretaker. Um, I know there's an exemption for mass health purposes, if you wanted to talk about that, Tony. Sure. Um, As Folks probably know the mass regulations related to Medicaid are extremely lengthy. And one of the provisions that we sometimes are able to make use of is an exemption for uh, a gift to a caretaker child. 
And what that means is that if a child has lived with their parents for two years and the doctor of the parent is able to say in writing that that care that the child has given has kept the parent out of the nursing home for at least two years, then the parent can give the house to the child without any disqualifying transfer penalty. Again, fairly complicated, but uh, it's, a, it's a good method that we use as often as we can. Well, I have a quick little story. I just met with some uh, folks last week. The lady's retiring or has just retired, and her mother owns a house. And she's in her 90s. There are five children in the family, and there are three adult children living at home. None of them are paying rent. They're all basically you know, enjoying the benefits of having free rent. And it's going to be lots and lots of fun when mom passes away at some point in time. What are they going to do to solve the problems of this house? So I, I would assume that if you have an adult child living in the house, it might not be a bad idea to have some kind of a written agreement, memo, describing what the obligations are for the child. Like maybe they should take care of the snow shoveling and the grass cutting, but maybe they should also pay some rent and uh, help to contribute financially. Well, it's all, it's all part of what you probably should have in your estate plan. If those children, three out of five, have been getting essentially a financial benefit for many years, there probably should be some accounting for that that takes place before the remainder of the estate is distributed so the other two children who didn't live there are not deprived of that benefit. Okay. Good point. Very good point. So... This is a fairly complicated subject, isn't it? When you want to protect your house, you have to look at a number of different options and alternatives. Mike, um, you have a dog, right? I do. What's your dog's name? Logan. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> Just want to make sure you knew it. I, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, have you ever heard of these electric dog fences that you can have in your yard? I have, yeah. And <clears throat> I, I know our son uh, has one at his house. Does it work? It it does. It oh. It shocks the dog a little bit first if the dog tries to go off the property, but it makes a beeping sound huh. when you get within a certain distance of it. So now it just, if the dog gets too close and he hears the beeps, uh, he goes running the other way. Actually, it's uh, a she. Yeah. She goes running the other way. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about a really unique way to protect your house. You have one of these electric dog fences, only you have the ability to dial up the current. Okay. So now if mass health comes to take your house away, you just turn the current up. All right, Roger. I like that idea. You like that <laughs> yeah, idea? Yeah. How about you, Tenny? You think that would work? <laughs> I suspect it wouldn't, but it's a great thought. Well, I just thought I'd add my two cents to this really sobering discussion that we're having here this morning. All right, sorry about that. That's okay. So many, it's okay. You do this to me, Tenny. You, you, I look at you and I have to think of something else to say. We so won't we go there. No, we've, we've talked about long-term care insurance. We've talked about the nominee trust. We've talked about irrevocable income-only trust. We've talked about the possibility of transferring title to children and using life estate deeds. We've also talked about the fact that you might have a caregiver uh, living at home. Um, and, and one other thing that... Um, I think people want to consider, and I know you're going to have a program about this at some point, is reverse mortgages. Um, I think reverse mortgages are wonderful things, despite whatever the Standard Times said about them recently. And um, if you have a reverse mortgage on the house, 
there is very little equity usually available for mass health to recover against and you've had the the uh, availability of that equity uh, during your lifetime so mm. i like reverse mortgages as a concept as well and that brings up a very interesting thought also tenny because um, I tell people that if you're about to retire, uh, one of the important things you should do for your own financial future is to have a credit line or home equity line on your house. And you can do that either with a traditional home equity line, and by the way, all the banks are advertising for that in the, in the newspaper right now, or you can do it with a reverse mortgage home equity line. Um, but the idea is that before you retire and while you're still showing normal income, you want to be able to qualify for a home equity line. And it's not that you want to go and put a new mortgage on your house if you have no mortgage. It's not that you want to borrow money and go spend money like crazy. But what it means is if you have an emergency, or more importantly, if you have a family member that has an emergency, you don't have to wait a month to try to borrow money and get something approved. You've got a home equity line already in place. All you have to do is write a check mm -hmm. and take the money down. So get a home equity line on your home. Um, um, how about uh, liability insurance, uh, Mike, and something like a uh, umbrella liability rider on your homeowners? Yeah, sure. I mean, if there's a disaster, if you have a fire in the house or um, a hurricane sweeps through, you might, yeah, you might need that. Of course, it's like any other insurance. Uh, hopefully, you never have to use it, but if you don't have it, it mm. would certainly be a problem. Yeah, we tell people all the time in in our business at USA Wealth Group that. You always want to have a homeowner's policy. You're required to, and you should, even if your mortgage is paid off. But just as importantly, you want to have a liability umbrella rider on your homeowners. It's very inexpensive. It's usually only a few hundred dollars a year, but it can give you up to a million dollars of coverage. And it'll pick up um, over your car insurance. So if you have a car accident, somebody wants to go attach your house, you've got this liability umbrella rider on your house. So insurance is another good thing, but don't sit and just think, oh, these are interesting ideas. Take some action, mm -hmm. uh, do something. Get your policies reviewed. Um, find out if you're paying too much money for your policies. And have your legal documents reviewed. Did you do a homestead before the age, what is it, 62, 62 for elderly? 62, yep. So if you did a homestead in the past before you were 62, and now you have become 62, you should probably do a new homestead, I would right. imagine. And there's also a separate homestead for natural persons and trustees of a trust. So if you've transferred your house or property into a trust, you have to do a new homestead for as a trustee of that trust because you're no longer owning the property as yourself individually. You're owning it as trustee of their trust. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. I thought you were going to talk about natural persons and unnatural persons. <laughs> I was waiting for the rest of that sentence to come out, Mike. Nope. No, that's just the term they use. Uh, it's not my term. Okay. It's a legislative term. Yeah. So, um, Tenny, should people really be concerned about Governor Baker's budget bill with this language thrown in? Oh, I think they should be extremely concerned about it. Everyone knows that uh, governments are running deficits these days. And um, as, as you have talked about, the recent uh, Deficit Reduction Act at the federal level um, – was balanced basically with social security changes, uh, again, on the backs of seniors. So I, uh, I think their government needs to find other ways of making its budget more in balance than to attack the senior community. Mm. No, I would certainly agree with that. 
Um, I, I very much appreciate the expertise, uh, Mike, that you bring to the show and Tenny that you bring to the show. Uh, your knowledge about uh, protecting people's homes, I think, is critically important. Attorney Michael Coleman, Attorney Tenny Lance, it's, it's always great to have you on the show. And I did not know myself about this uh, Governor Baker proposed budget. And so that's important news that we want to have. Um, you send out information, you said, in, in your own newsletters? Yes, we send out newsletters uh, regularly, and we have a list of emails from our clients or people who would like to be on our email list. And so we will sometimes, uh, like for this, send out what's called email blasts that just simply notify people of something that's important coming up. Okay, and if somebody would like to come in and talk with either you, Mike, or you, Tenny, uh, what number should they call if they wish to make an appointment? Uh, you can call us at 508-998-8800. Okay. Um, we also have a website, so again, if you wanted to just learn more about what we do, you could visit our website at lancelawinc.com, and you could email us at info at lancelawinc.com as well. Okay, well, thank you again so much for being with us this morning. We appreciate it. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, do something to protect your house. There is nothing more important except for your family. We always talk about protecting your family first and protecting your money and your assets second because those are the priorities. But do something positive to protect your house in every way that you can. There's nothing more important. Thank you so much for listening to us. We will join you again next week and talk about some more topics on MoneyWise. Wise.